0: making their way down. I want us to wrap up, finish, put a bow on a series of studies we began back at the very beginning of the year on spiritual disciplines. I like to refer to these as holy habits. And we've entitled this series of studies, Start Your Engines. As you're finding your way there to Acts chapter 1, there was a young investment banker that had had a really good year. And so he decided he wanted to buy his dream car. He went out and bought him a brand new Ferrari. Paid about $500,000 for this car, got it home, decided to take it for a ride, and so he's riding around. He pulled up to a, a red light, and there was this frail old man on a yellow moped that pulled up beside him, and he looked over at the car, and he said, What kind of car is that, Sonny? And the guy said, It's a brand-new Ferrari. It costs $500,000. It'll do like 500 kilometers an hour. It's just some crazy speed. He said, Wow puts his thumbs underneath his, his uh, suspenders and the old man says can I take a look at it and he says sure and so the old man leans over off his moped and sticks his head in the car looks at all the dash and the dials and all those sorts of things and just kind of blown away he said wow he said that is some kind of car he said i tell you what I like my moped I'll just kind of lean my moped I keep my moped and so he just kind of he just kind of leaned back over about that time the uh the light changed, and the young investment bankers wanted to show the old man what the Ferrari would do, and so he gunned it, and I mean, he peeled tires all over the place, and I mean, within just a matter of seconds, I mean, he's 100-plus miles, just flying. He's going really fast, and all of a sudden, he sees something in the rearview mirror, something yellow moving up on him really, really, really fast, and all of a sudden, it blows by him. He, I didn't know what, what it was, and so he guns it, trying to catch up with it, and he gets up, and it's the old man on the moped. Well, he's not about to let an old man on a moped go faster than his brand-new Ferrari. And so he guns it again and passes the old man. And a few seconds later, here comes the old man again. He's not going to let him pass. So he, he pushes it, red lines in. and all of a sudden the moped hits the back of that Ferrari. I mean, just runs right in the back of it. The guy stops, gets out. Amazingly, the man's still alive. He said, are you, are you all right? Well, what, what do you need? He said, I need you to unhook my suspenders from your side mirror. That's what I need. I'll be here all week. (laughs) So we've been in a series of studies over the last several weeks. We started off the very first Sunday of the year by learning how we can and how we should get on track through studying God's Word, digging into God's Word daily on a consistent basis getting god's word in our mind hiding god's word in our heart having god's word in our mouth thinking bible and speaking bible then the second sunday if you remember we learned how to stay in touch through prayer and meditation how we can have a powerful personal prayer life as we intercede on behalf of others those who who are lost, those who are new Christians, those who are straying, those who are are sick, those who are serving in the church, those who are in uh, authority, staying in touch through prayer and meditation. And then last Sunday, if you were here and remember, we learned how we can move in tune through serving God and others. You have been saved to serve. You have been called to serve. You have been gifted to serve. And I'll just say this to you one more time this morning, that if you're not serving you are living in disobedience not up to your full potential by not following the example of Jesus who said that he did not come to be served but to serve. And so that brings us this morning to our last study in this series and where we're going to learn from what I believe is the most powerful and practical verse on our mission as Christians in the whole Bible, how we as Christians can and should live on task through witnessing. Listen to what Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and if you have made your way there, say, uh-huh. uh-huh. So Jesus said, but you shall receive power, say power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses, say witnesses, Witnesses. in, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Just after his death and right before his ascension back into heaven, Jesus came and he gave this one final message to his followers. And in this message, he told them that they would be witnesses for him In Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the end of the earth and so this is a verse that every Christian ought to know and every young Christian ought to have marked in their Bible and etched into their heart because here in this one verse is what has been called God's plan for world evangelization this is the Great Commission the last command that Jesus Christ gave his church before he went back to heaven this is God's plan to get the whole work of the whole church to the whole world. And if you were to ask me, Pastor, what is the job of the church? What are we supposed to be doing until Jesus comes back? I would point you to this one verse. And I have said it many, many times in many different ways from this pulpit over the last nearly 12 years. But our primary and pressing job as a church is to do anything and everything that we possibly can to get the gospel to as many people as possible until Jesus Christ comes back. That's why, and sometimes y'all get mad, But that's why if it does not fall up underneath our mission to bring people to Jesus and to build them into fully mature, reproducing followers of Christ, it doesn't matter how nice it looks, how sweet it smells, how good it sounds. It is not within our scope of ministry as a church. The whole work of the whole church is to get the whole gospel to the whole world until Jesus returns. And so that's why there are just certain things that in this church that we do and there are certain things that we don't do. And I, I have people come to me all the time. They'll say, Pastor, my friends go to such and such church here in town and they do this. And I say, great. And Pastor, I've got friends that go to this church. And, and Pastor, they have this ministry. And I say, great. How does that bring people to Jesus? You see, the reason why we don't do certain things as a church and the reason why we do certain things as a church is because they must fall up underneath those two words bring and build. And I believe that it is the job of this church and really every church to be a witness to Jesus, for Jesus, and of Jesus to the whole world. Right here in Martinez, over into Augusta, out into throughout all of Georgia, up into the other 49 states, ultimately to the far corners of the world. We are to be witnesses to, for, and of Jesus to a lost and dying world. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take this one little verse and I want to show you about four little things. And so normally in past years I'd have been really practical and tell you how to do this. And so this year, if you remember, we've been focusing more on why we should do this, why read the Bible, why why pray? Why why serve? And so this morning, why should we be witnesses and so i want to give you about four little things here this morning that i want you to write down that i pray will encourage you that that they will uh, challenge you this morning to live on task in 2024 by witnessing sharing the gospel telling others about jesus christ and here's the very first thing that i want you to write down number one let's talk for a few minutes here this morning about the people jesus chooses as witnesses so that's a question we need to ask right who Did Jesus choose to be his witnesses? And I'm going to ask for a little bit of grace. If you're here this morning and you've been in Abilene forever and ever and ever in a day, or you're here this morning and you've been a Christian forever, you're a mature Christian. I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of grace, a little bit of space to be really, really simple this morning. Because there are those in our church family, there are those that will be here this morning that are newer Christians. They're baby Christians. They're, they're new to the church. And so I want to do my job this morning in helping every single one here this morning grasp the importance and the implications of what Jesus is saying here today. And so who are his witnesses? Jesus tells us. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just tell us one time or two times. He tells us three times in this one little verse. Notice what he says. He says, but you shall receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so who's he talking to? Who who are the you's that Jesus Christ is talking to here. Well, it wasn't angels, and it wasn't supermen, supermen, or, or or superwomen, or those sorts of things. It was just average, ordinary, common men and women, uneducated folks even. Because if you were to keep reading down through this, this chapter, you're going to find that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there as well as some other women, many of the other disciples were there, and probably about 120 of them or so at this time. Just average, ordinary, run-of-the-mill, average folks like you, And me. by the way, isn't that a principle and a practice that we find so often in the pages of the Bible? I love this phrase that Jesus doesn't call the qualified, Jesus qualifies the called. And that's what you find as you go through the scripture. Jesus doesn't call the great people of the world to be witnesses and preachers and evangelists and and missionaries. Most of the times he calls ordinary, common, average, run-of-the-mill, everyday folks. You say, well, what about Billy Graham? Well, what about Billy Graham? Billy Graham wasn't ordinary. He was when Jesus called him. And anything that Billy Graham was or became is a result and because of the fact of what Jesus Christ made him to be and did in him so that he might become his man. And that's one of the things that we bump into uh, from time to time in the pages of the Bible. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. Paul said this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And so why does God do that? Why doesn't he choose great people? Kings and queens and presidents and senators and noble laureates and titans of industry why aren't these the only people that he calls and here's why verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence and by the way did you notice what Paul said Paul didn't say not any he said not many there have been those down through history that would be considered great by the world that God called to be missionaries and evangelists and pastors and preachers but normally it's the ordinary average everyday run-of-the-mill workday folks like you and me who he calls to be his witnesses and you see god's plan for every christian is that we should be a witness for, to, and of Jesus Christ. And if he only called the great and the powerful, the famous and the rich, the brilliant, all those sorts of things, to be his witnesses, then we would have an easy excuse to say, well, see, I'm not one of them. I'm not great. I'm not powerful. I'm not rich. I'm not, I'm not famous. And so I can't be a witness. And if we had had that excuse, then we would miss out on one of the greatest privileges in all the world, and that is to tell somebody about Jesus and see them saved every Christian is to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. I love hot dogs. How about y'all? Just kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Now, there's a point. I love hot dogs. I've got to be very honest with you. I love hot dogs. I'll tell you, there's a lot of days I'd rather have a hot dog than a steak. I know that sounds weird for some of y'all, but in seminary, we called it seminary steak, and so I love hot dogs. You ever heard of armor hot dogs? You ever heard of armor hot dogs? So they're the good kind because they're the cheap kind, right? Armor meats were started by a man by the name of Philip Armour. And here's what Philip Armour said. I pack meat to pay the bills to tell people about Jesus. I pack meat to pay the bills to tell people about Jesus. And I wonder here this morning... If you're here and you're a school teacher and you love Jesus, and you tell your students about Jesus you're here this morning and you're a business person you live for Jesus in front of your employees or your coworkers, workers and, and you tell them about Jesus you're, you're here this morning and you're a college student that loves Jesus and tells your classmate about Jesus, here's what I need you to know this morning that you are just as much of a missionary as the one who sells their house and moves to the other side of the planet to share the good news of the gospel with those who've never heard the name of Jesus before every Christian is a missionary and every Christian is being called to be a witness and the missionary on the foreign field you know they have a group of people that god has for them to to reach him and if you're here this morning and you're a school teacher or or a business person or you're you're a college student or whatever you have a group of people that god has for you to share the good news of the gospel and reach with the good news message of the gospel dr a.t pearson brilliant theologian Dr. Pearson said, witnessing is the necessity of a truly saved soul a light that does not shine a spring that does not flow a germ that does not grow is not more a contradiction than a life in christ which does not witness to christ and here's the truth that i want every one of y'all here this morning to grasp if you are a follower of jesus christ who loves him and shares him with those that you work with live next to sit beside then you're just as much of a witness as franklin graham or greg laurie or any other missionary serving in some mud hut somewhere or some closed country on the other side of the world you're one of those people that jesus chooses to be his witnesses but then there's a second thing i want you to see notice the plan jesus has for witnessing so what is a witness and what is what's the job of a witness well the word witness is the word marturo that's what the word means martus It means someone who gives testimony that's based on personal knowledge. is someone who testifies of something that they have seen, they've heard, and they know to be true based on their personal experience. And so it's not something that somebody read something somewhere and they're going to talk about that or they heard a podcast and they're going to get up and talk about like they're the ones that heard it or didn't. No, 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 no. This is one who, who says, I know that this is the truth because it happened to me. let's suppose you're subpoenaed I know that's a good thought right let's suppose you're subpoenaed and they want you to give testimony something happened they want you to give testimony and so you get on the stand They swear you in and they ask you to give your testimony and you say well I think this happened or I believe this is what happened <laughs> that judge's gonna go time out what what you what We don't care what you think. We don't care what you believe. We care what you know. What did you see? What did you experience? What do you know to be true? Remember the blind man in John chapter 9? Jesus healed and the people began to question him about what had happened and who this Jesus was and, and how he had been healed. Remember what he said? He said this right here. He said, I don't know about all that, but one thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. That's what a witness is. That's what a witness does. John 3, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. And Ananias told Paul in Acts 22, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And so God's plan is that every single one of us who are Christians would be witnesses of what we have seen and heard and know by personal experience. Now, something really important here that I want to make sure that you, that you see. Our testimony is to center around and focus on Jesus. There's a lot of people that say, just tell your story. And that's, that's part of it. Just tell your story. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses to me. What does that mean? It means that we're to give witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross and in our life and what he wants to do and can do in their life. We're to give testimony about Jesus person, his person, his power, his purpose. We can say, I know that Jesus can save you because he saved me. And I know that Jesus can strengthen you because he strengthened me. And I know that Jesus can sustain you because he sustained me you shall be witnesses to me not witnesses to a denomination or a movement or a creed or an organization or a system but witnesses to a person jesus witnesses are, not, are y'all still there this morning witnesses are not supposed to make baptists and methodists and presbyterians and catholics witnesses are to make followers of jesus christ And Jesus is to be the center, the circumference, and the sum of everything we do and say. In witnessing, we don't just so much share a plan as we share the man, the person, Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And by the way, did you notice what Jesus said? He said, and you shall be witnesses to me. In other words, Jesus says, "You your whole life is to be a witness. On top of whatever you say and even before you speak, you're going to be an example of the grace of God. You're going to be a representative of what I can do in the hearts of lives of men and women. And so by the way that we live and by what we say, by our life and through our lips, we are to witness up to the truth of the fact that Jesus Christ came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead, and he can forgive their sins and give them the greatest gift ever the gift of eternal life that's what we're supposed to win that's the plan jesus has for witnessing and all witnessing of jesus and to jesus and for jesus should be operating and evident in our lives and through our lips just where we're living every single day here's the third thing notice the place jesus sends his witnesses so where are we supposed to go We've already seen that Jesus wants his witnesses everywhere, but if you'll notice here, he gets a little bit more specific, gives us a definite geographical location. Verse 8, And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matches up perfectly with the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and Mark 16. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But here in Acts 1, he gets more specific. He says, as you go into all the world and as you make disciples of all the nations, go in this order. Start in Jerusalem. Then go over the mountain up into Judea. And then cross culturally up into Samaria and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. We would put it this way today. Some will have to leave Augusta and go to Atlanta. And some are going to have to leave the United States and go to Canada or South America. Some will have to go to Europe, and some will have to go to the other side of the world, to China, to Russia, or even Africa. That's why we send out international missionaries through the International Mission Board, because we've got to get witness for Jesus, the message of the gospel, to the farthest points on the planet. 1786, and can I just say this, 1786, William Carey, father of the modern-day mission movement, 1786. Abilene had already been around for a decade. Just thought I'd throw that out there just so you can know. 1786, Northampton. William Carey stands before this ministerial board, and he asked this question. He asked whether the command given to the apostles to teach all nations was not obligatory on all succeeding ministers to the end of the world. And the chair of that committee, Dr. Ryland, got incensed, angry, hair on fire. And Dr. Ryland said, you're a miserable enthusiast for asking such a question. And one of the greatest indictments upon the church and Christians is how slow and reluctant we have been to do what Jesus commanded to send out witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth this command jesus gives here in acts one is obligatory on every single christian in every single age it's not a choice and that's why every single one of us ought to be willing to go wherever jesus christ wants us to go and every single one of us especially those of us who are young Young folks ought to be willing to give your life to full-time Christian service, either as a pastor or a minister here in the States or as a missionary on the other side of the world. Every one of us must start at our Jerusalem because if you're not a witness right now, right where you are on the mission field here, can I tell you something? You're not going to be a witness when you get over there. My last church, we had this family. It was our deaf interpreter and her husband, and they felt called to go to the mission field, which is great. They signed up with the International Mission Board, served over, I think, in China at some point. But I remember this, this thought that I have when they're signing up to be missionaries. I don't remember ever you seeing you at visitation. I don't remember you ever telling sharing the gospel with somebody. As far as I know, you've never led anybody to Jesus, and yet you want to go over there. You wouldn't do it across the street where you live here. What makes me think you're going to do it when you get over there? You see, if you're not going to do it here, you're not going to do it when you get over there. Romans 10 says this, Paul says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed him? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Did you know I have pretty feet? Now, I'm not going to take my shoes off. Aren't you glad for that? And the Bible says if you're a witness, you have pretty feet too. You have beautiful feet because you bring good tidings. So there's the people Jesus chooses as witnesses and the plan Jesus has for witnessing. There's the place that Jesus sends his witnesses. And then lastly, there's the power Jesus gives for witnessing. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Nobody can. Not in the pulpit, not in the pew, not in the marketplace, not in the mission field, not in the shop, not in the classroom. Nobody can be an effective witness for Jesus apart from the power of the Holy Spirit of God. We see this in the life and the ministry of Jesus early on in the Gospels. We read where Jesus was endued with power from the Holy Spirit. That's why he said in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And even as eager and as excited as the disciples were to go out and preach the gospel, Jesus said in Luke 24, hey, tarry here in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then on the day of Pentecost, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're transformed and empowered. And then they went out to be powerful witnesses for Jesus, not by might, not by power, not by education, not by social status, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. How do you think William Carey became the witness he was? How do you think Billy Graham became the mighty witness that he was? How how do you think Peter and Paul and James and John and all these other disciples who were so wonderfully used by God, how do you think that happened? How does anybody anywhere become a witness? There's just one way. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Spurgeon said that God's commands are God's enabling. And when Jesus says, you're to be my witness, but, wait a minute. I'm going to give you all the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can be an effective witness where you live and labor for me. Jesus never told his disciples, his followers, he never told us to be witnesses without promising to give us the power to do what he's commanded us to do. Let me leave you with this thought. How long do we have to reach the world with the good news of the gospel? And here's the answer. Until Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns. And you shall be witnesses to me, Acts 1.8 in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The end of the earth. That's verse 8. But then you get to verses 9 through 11 and Jesus is taken up by in a cloud into heaven and you've got these two guys standing there and the disciples are just kind of standing up looking at heaven like Gomer, Shazam. And the guys say to the disciples, men of Galilee, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you in heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. It reminds us of this truth. The time is short. The days are quickly coming to an end where we can see people saved, share the gospel and see people saved. Brother Richard, there's one thing we can't do in heaven, right? You know the one thing we can't do in heaven? You can't witness. You can praise and worship and sing and all those sorts of things. You can serve. There's one thing you can't do in heaven. And that is tell people about Jesus and see them saved. Don't the signs of the time tell us that his return is getting close? Doesn't the state of the world today, the, the, the term terrorist attacks in Israel and the invasion and war in Ukraine, the conflicts in the Middle East, the rise of a belligerent China, the tsunami of apostasy and depravity in our own nation, wars and rumors of wars, and all of that, doesn't that tell us that the return of Jesus is closer than it's ever been before? And we've all been called to be his witnesses. The time is getting short, and the need is great. And millions of people are dying lost without Jesus. And Jesus says to you, and Jesus says to me, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's right here. And in all Judea, it's just down the road. And in Samaria, cross-culturally. And to the ends of the earth. And my prayer is that 2024 will be the year where you live on task by witnessing, and sharing the gospel, And telling people that you live beside and work with and go to class with, that your kids play ball with, where you shop, that you will be a witness of, to, and for Jesus. And that people will be saved.